The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shops, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and this is the Sunday Roundup. This week, the US and UK launched military strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen following repeated Houthi attacks on Red Sea cargo ships. Speaking to Lord Koonsberg, David Cameron suggested the strikes sent a message that Western countries were prepared to follow our words and warnings with actions. Koonsberg questioned whether the strikes would have much impact, given the Houthi rebels' declaration that they will step up their own attacks. Cameron pointed out that Houthi attacks have been escalating since November and said military action was now the only option. We've just heard there, far from stopping these attacks, the Houthis are vowing retaliation. It's clear from speaking to that man there, they've got no intention of following your action with the cessation of what they're doing in the Red Sea? What's given you the impression that this will make any difference? Well, I would turn the question around the other way and say, well, look what's happened since the 19th of November. We've had 26 attacks on ships, not just ships heading to Israel or Israeli-linked ships, but ships of all kinds, and those attacks have been getting worse. We've given warning after warning. We've taken the case to the United Nations, had a very clear statement there about the importance of freedom of navigation, and yet the attacks continued. And in fact, one of the last attacks, which included HMS Diamond, uh, the British destroyer, involved over 20 drones and missiles. So not acting is also a policy. It wasn't working, and it's right we sent this very clear, very unambiguous message that we are prepared to follow our words and warnings with actions. But what makes you think it will actually stop the attacks? Because perhaps it might have been worth it as a punishment, but do you think it will actually stop a single thing? Well, I think there are two things that it does. The first is it does degrade some of the Houthi capacity to launch these missiles and drones, and we'll obviously look at the assessment of that in the coming hours and days. But it also sends this very clear message that uh, America and others... Uh, an alliance of countries backing this action, an alliance of countries including Britain taking part in this action, but also including countries like the Netherlands and Canada and Australia, are prepared to take action backing their words. And I think that's very important. And are you prepared to keep going? If the strikes keep happening and America keeps asking, will you keep going? We are prepared to back our words with actions. That is what the Houthis need to know, and that, I think, is is the right thing to do. Without limit? No. Look, of course, we look at all of these things very carefully. And I want to sort of make the point. It's quite interesting going back into government and watching this prime minister, who is very meticulous and careful and looks at every question. Are there alternatives? Has every other policy been exhausted? Have we consulted uh, with colleagues? Are we looking at the effect on the region? I mean, he is, goes into every detail in completely the right way, but then is a strong and determined leader who wants to take the right action to try and stop these appalling attacks from happening. And that's the way he will approach it, and I think that's entirely right. This week, South Africa brought a case accusing Israel of genocide to the International Court of Justice. On Sky News, Cameron was direct in his criticism of the case, describing it as wrong and unhelpful. He claimed that it was nonsense to suggest Israel had the intention to commit genocide against the Palestinian people, 
Although he has previously admitted he is worried Israel may have broken international law. This week you suggested to the Parliamentary uh, Committee that Israel might be guilty of war crimes. Um, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't say that. Uh, well, OK, let me ask you this yeah. way then. Did, do you agree with the South Africans that Israel has a case to answer before the International Court of Justice? No, I absolutely don't. I think the South African action is, is wrong. I think it's unhelpful. I think it shouldn't be happening. Now, of course, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but they are talking here about genocide. They're taking this um, case on, on the basis of genocide. And, you know, to prove that, you've got to improve, you've got to prove that there, there was intent. Now, you know, I take the view that, that Israel is acting in self-defence after the appalling attack on the 7th of October. But even if you take a different view to my view, um, to look at Israel, a democracy, a country with the rule of law, a country with armed forces that are committed to obeying the rule of law, it's... to say that they have, that that country, that leadership, that armed forces, that they have the intent to commit genocide, I think that is nonsense. I think that's wrong. But, and I, I, I but you can't know that. You can only judge on the basis of what they've done. Yeah, you can judge. You, you can judge, though, on the basis of what they have done and how they've acted and why they're acting. And to say there's an intent to commit genocide, I do believe that's. Keir Starmer has largely been standing with the government on its actions in the Middle East, and was supportive again in response to the UK carrying out strikes in Yemen before Parliament could be consulted. However, Koonsberg played Starmer a clip of himself in 2020, saying he would pass legislation that would require Parliament to give approval before military action could be taken. Starmer said there was no inconsistency in his view, claiming he had always meant a distinction between a sustained operation with troops on the ground and a specific action that needed to be taken quickly. Koonsberg then asked him if he still stood by his previous pledge to stop selling arms to Saudi Arabia. Starmer said there needed to be a review into all arms sales, but repeatedly avoided confirming whether his view on sales to Saudi Arabia remained the same. Some of your colleagues, though, and other opposition parties have said that Parliament could have and should have been consulted as a matter of principle. And someone you know rather well used to also believe Parliament should always be consulted as a matter of principle. I just want to show you something. I would pass legislation that said military action could be taken if, first, the lawful case was it, for it was made, um, secondly, there was a viable objective, and thirdly, you got the consent of the Commons. Now, it was one of your own solemn promises to your party members that you would make it mandatory under a Prevention of Military Intervention Act that there would be the consent of Parliament. Have you changed your mind? No, there's no inconsistency here. There's really? There's obviously a huge distinction between an operation uh, the like of which we've seen in the last few days and military action, a sustained campaign military action usually involving troops on the ground. That's recognised by everybody. National security must come first. There will always be urgent situations where Parliament can't be consulted beforehand, but the principle that if there's to be a sustained campaign, if we're going to deploy our troops on the ground, that Parliament should be informed, uh, there should be a debate, mm -hmm. the case should be made, and there should be a vote. I do stand by that mm -hmm. in principle, absolutely. But that small print was not in your promise that you made to your party. You didn't say only in certain kinds of situations. So are you saying that only applies if you're actually talking about boots on the ground? Yes, because what I said when I made that pledge was that what I wanted to do was to codify the convention. The cabinet manual, as you mm -hmm. know, um, has this in it as a convention. 
the Foreign Secretary now, when he was Prime Minister, um, really established the convention, which is if there's to be a sustained campaign, the deployment of troops on the so ground. So the small print is then, about a sustained then, campaign. Would well, you of do course, that? If I mean, you, Laura, if you Laura just bear, bear, hear me out, because what um, David Cameron, then as Prime Minister, did was, I think, right, which was to say, if we're going to deploy our troops, there has to be a viable case, and that should be put before Parliament, and the information made available as far as it can and be. If you were there has to be a proper legal basis, because we're deploying our troops, and, you, and there should be a And you've said vote. that already, but I'd like, I think our viewers would like to know, if you win the election, will you still introduce that law? Well, I want to codify that. It could be in a law, it could be by some other means. But, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely clear that that's a principle that I want to see but you won't commit entrenched. To, but you, but well, you won't commit to passing it as a law, I, I'm not ruling used out, to... I'm not ruling out law. Um, but, Laura, of course there will be urgent situations, mm. particularly when we're on joint operations, where it simply isn't possible always, or even wise always, to consult Parliament beforehand because of the disclosure of information. And that's why... Um, having been briefed on the operation this week, um, I haven't uh, called for anything more than the statement that I'm expecting tomorrow. from the Prime Minister tomorrow. You also said back then that you had a commitment to review all UK arms sales. Would you still do that if you win the election? Yes, we do need to carry out that uh, review of all arms sales, yes, of course. And would you, as you used to say, stop selling arms to Saudi Arabia? Well, we will do a review uh, to look at uh, the sales, look at the countries and the relationships that we have. Obviously, uh, that follows a review. But you used to say, you said in February 2020, we should stop the sale of arms to Saudi Arabia. Is that still your position? We will review the situation and the review will give us the answers to those questions. So you may not anymore promise to stop the sale of arms to Saudi Arabia, which is what you used to say in 2020. We will review the situation. The review will make clear what the position is. Starmer has repeatedly stated Labour's pledge to invest £28 billion in green energy and achieve completely clean power by 2030. However, he also admitted this investment would be subject to fiscal rules. Koonsberg asked how a Labour government could achieve these goals if they weren't committed to the cost. Starmer admitted that they would need private investment and also said there would have to be overhauls to planning regulations and the national grid in order to achieve Labour's goals but he reaffirmed his party's commitment to the policy. Let's talk about an important issue at home. Now, one of your central promises to viewers, we've talked to you about it before, we've talked to Rachel Reeves about it at length, is green jobs, green energy, that by the end of the parliament, if you win, you'd say you'd invest £28 billion to create. The tricky thing is, you started off promising the £28 billion extra every single year, you're now saying that money might not be forthcoming and you'll only spend that much if you can afford it, except you're still promising people the goodies, the green jobs, the green energy. Now, that doesn't stack up. If you're not committed to paying the price, how can you commit to the promise? Well, let me be clear what we're committing to. We've got a green prosperity plan. That's a, gro that's a growth plan about the next generation of jobs. There's a revolution going on in terms of green energy. Other countries are in the race. We need to be in the race for the next generation of jobs. I also have committed to clean power by 2030. That's renewables. That gives us cheaper bills. It gives us energy security. So Putin can't put his boot on our throat and it gives us the next but generation the point of is, jobs. The point here, Kirsama, and we're, we're short on time, the point is you're promising those goodies, but you're not anymore committed to the cost 
that you used to say you would definitely cough up, that doesn't stack up unless you're suddenly going to find the money somewhere else and put taxes up to pay for it. Well, hear me out, because in order to get to clean power 2030, we do need investment. And I'll come back precisely to your point. But also, when we're talking to those that we hope will partner with us on this journey to deliver clean power by 2030, they say to me, Kia, look, investment is one thing, but we also need the planning rules change because it takes far too long to do anything in this country. We need the national grid to move at a much faster pace because at the moment it's given connection dates for the 2030s. That's never going to work. We need an industrial strategy. Of course we need investment, and I'm very pleased to make the case for investment in the future. And that's why we will invest £28 billion in total by the second half of the parliament, subject, of course, to what the government's already assigned to put in on green prosperity, and, of course, within our fiscal rules. So I think that's, that's straightforward. But I do think this idea that it's only the money that counts, it, it actually isn't reflected in the conversations I'm having. Finally, five migrants died attempting to cross the channel this morning and around 70 were rescued after a small boat overturned attempting to launch from France. David Cameron described the situation as heartbreaking and said it was further evidence that we had to stop the boats. Koonsberg pointed out that the government had been unsuccessful in trying to deal with the problem for years. Cameron said that busting the model of the people smugglers was the only way to deal with the problem and that the Rwanda scheme was essential to create the deterrent required. We have a little bit more information now about what happened in the channel, uh, it seems, in the early hours of this morning. Four people have died. 72 people have been rescued. And it's been reported by French news agencies. It sounds like this is another very distressing incident and yet more evidence that after many years of trying to grapple with this problem, your Conservative Party has been unable to stop this, unable to protect vulnerable people, unable to stop what many people think is a ghastly illegal trade. Well, it's, it's heartbreaking when these things happen and the loss of life that takes place. And you can only think about what, a, what an appalling end it would be in the, the cold waters of the channel in the, in the middle of the night. It, it breaks my heart to hear about it. But it, it, it just shows we've got to stop the boats. We've got to stop this illegal trade in human beings. Now, we have done a huge amount. We've given a vast amount of money to help the French with their policing and intelligence operations. We've done a vast amount in the channel itself. But ultimately, the only way you can stop the boats is by busting the model of the people smugglers, by making sure that if someone goes from point A in France to point B in Britain, they do not stay in Britain, that that route doesn't work. Now, in an ideal world, you'd just send them straight back to France, and that would be it, and the whole trade would collapse. That is not available, and that is why we're pursuing the policy with Rwanda. That's why the bill will be passed next week. That's why the treaty has been signed. Um, and yes, it may be unorthodox or unusual, but unless we can get flights off and get that system working so people know there's no point getting on that boat in France, because if you get on that boat in France, you're not going to be able to stay in the United Kingdom. Once we've done that, we'll be able to collapse this trade even more. Be aware, yes of course, no. it is, is down. This, uh, and this is coming back to Parliament this week. Yes or no, no, as now a member of the House of Lords, will this get through the House of Lords? Well, I hope so. I'm Sadly, I, I don't have a personal majority in the House of Lords, but I'll do everything I can to help get it through, because it's essential. It is actually, of course, it's about dealing with illegal migration. It's about shutting this down. It's also about saving lives, as you've just shown. That's all for this week. I'm Isabel Hardman and this podcast was produced by Joe Bedell-Brill.
Don't forget to subscribe to the Coffee House Shots podcast on the iTunes store. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do subscribe to our daily evening blend email. It's a free roundup of all the political news each day, along with analysis and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend. Thanks for listening and do join us again next week.